1: Becky Pringle, Becky, how are you? Thanks for stopping by.
0: I'm good, Neil. It's good to be with you.
1: It is definitely, you know, I've I've I've, uh, talked to the president of the AFT, so we have to go with the NEA now. And uh, I real as I don't know if you know this, I'm a former teacher. I uh, owned a tutoring consulting company back in the day, so this is just a very very interesting topic to say the least, especially what what the recovery of what education, what K through 12 schools has had to go through with COVID-19 and just the lack of learning that's had to happen at times and challenges where kids have not had the proper equipment for school when it was been online and all these different things. So this testing thing is really becoming a big debate, isn't it, Becky? It
0: absolutely is, Neil. and I, as you put that teacher hat on and I do the same, you know, imagine you have done so much throughout this year, over a year, right? Um, I, I I've never been proud of to be a teacher, honestly, Neil. Right. Watching educators all over the country not do what they do do what we've always done, right? We've always been in the gaps for our kids, but oh, my goodness, what they've been called to do in this year, to learn new strategies, to to deepen their relationship with their parents and, and, and community partners so that they could get their students what they needed, even as they're take, trying to take care of their own families. Um, uh, now, for them to be faced with or or required to give a standardized test after they have watched their students all year, whether virtually or in person, um, uh, struggle with the challenges not only of the pandemic, COVID-19, right. but but all of the crises it spawned, right? The economic crisis, exactly. parents losing jobs and some missing meals. And now they're going to have to give a test. I think you. I think you agree with me when I say this.
1: It's not going to. It's that, not going to be that, a fair scores. You're just really going to, especially across the board, and it'll end up being in the areas where the the, the least amount of money. You know, because it's not fair equity in school districts. You know, the 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 most affluent have the most money anyway. So it's really not a fair comparison, and they're not going to perform as well either. Every every parent, regardless of race, color, creed. Ethnic Anything has gone through this. All of us have lived through this pandemic and we all have struggled and we've had struggling trying to keep our kids educated. It's not a fair assessment for anyone, especially the ones that did not have access to an equal education i'm pushing for summer school straight out and i think that we're just not well, till we get we have to look at year-round school possibly because of these challenges we've gone through because kids have lost so much learning especially special needs kids as well
0: you're absolutely right and you know i you know i just, i i I really feel for the teachers that are in classrooms right now and and being if they are being forced to give tests and feeling that it you know, it's bordering on malpractice, honestly. And Neil, you know, I feel like I have to screen this five times a day we're in a
1: pandemic exactly
0: about that
1: i mean and it's not over yet it's not over we don't just because in specific area i mean i call on school districts in different ways of one of my jobs and i'm like you know and just calling these districts and all of them are not back to normal they're not even if kids are going to school every day we've not done the research that how well they learn with masks on Right. Because you lose certain senses. And we all know how important each individual learner has a different way of learning. And you eliminate that ability to stay focused with that mask. I'm sure the research hasn't come out in that yet either of of education and struggles. So it's just all ridiculous in so many ways. And so many are visual learners and you can't see a teacher's mouth sometimes moving with a mask. And let alone online learning, we know that that's just was it was a, they've done a phenomenal job with online learning, especially the second go around. But that's not equity throughout the United States. And that's the challenges you're going through.
0: It is not. And we know that and and that you you as a teacher, you you know we've been we've known about these inequities forever. Correct. The rest of the country is is now having a clue. Or, 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 you know, I don't even want to say that. They're paying attention with the light shining on the inequities. We are seeing that disparate impact on our black and brown and, and indigenous communities in particular um, from the virus and all of the crises that it's that it spawned. And then to, on top of that, require that they take standardized tests that you and I both know are relics of the past that were born out of racially bias, a racially biased system anyway. Exactly. Yeah, and all of uh, you know it being unfair. That's just exactly what you described. On top of all of the pain and right. suffering and trauma and stress. Yes, that, financially, that it it's ridiculous. Mindset. Yeah, right. It's that, not fair. It never was valid or reliable. It certainly is not now.
1: I know. I only oh, have it for a short, short, short I, I, and I only have it for a short t- period of time. What's your call of action? What do you want our listeners to do right now to try to? Uh, to stop, to make sure that this can uh, go to their local representative. Who do they need to do to try to kind of so these tests don't end up happening or in some areas of the country absolutely. at least? Yeah,
0: absolutely. We're we're asking you to go to NEA.org slash time to learn. You're absolutely correct. We're calling on elected officials at the state level because states have have decisions to make, but also at the uh, federal level. And that will give them all of the tools they need to, uh, to be activists in this moment for their students so we can ensure that our students actually focus on that opportunity to learn and we provide them with the resources they need. That is not a standardized test.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks again. And uh, definitely want to chat with you again and uh, a little bit more deeper conversation this time than just a short period of time. But uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you do for t- education. And we need to stand up and change the way our education system is met because we're not reaching the most kids. We're really struggling, and it's not our fault because of the pandemic. We have to figure out a change. So I appreciate you calling. Thank you so
0: much, Neil.
1: You're welcome. Bye bye. Stay safe. You too. Bye bye. You're thank listening to you. Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
2: Celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots
4: today!
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Photographic Memory Podcast. I'm excited to welcome to the program, Doctor Shannon Panzo. Doctor Shannon, what's going on? How are you?
2: Oh, I'm having a great day here today. I've brought in a couple of my friends. My uh, my local friends that kind of hang around the property to stand in on the uh, on the talk. It's kind of it relates a little bit to them. All
1: right. And Dr. Shannon is a photographic memory expert, a brain management expert, and also does mentoring. So go to zuxpro.com for more information. And we're going to talk about out of the box to think out of the box. I I, I like that thinking unconventionals, but out of the box. So they're the same thing, unconventional and out of the box.
2: Well, not necessarily. So the, uh, the main thing is, is right now, there's a lot of people that are finding themselves in a position that they've never found themselves in life. They have to reinvent themselves, especially in their business concerns and uh, possibly the work that they do, the ways that, the ways that they earn money, the changing economic environment, uh, the changes in all the different things that you're now experiencing. And now is a great time to take on that change uh, for yourself and uh, actually, the best way to be doing this is to think outside the box. This is where you are not in a normal situation, or what you call normal. Uh, you're not. You're no longer in that normal situation. So, what we have to do is we have to learn to think outside outside the box, so that we can have more flexibility. Right. Exactly. Thinking outside the
1: box, more flexibility. So give us some examples of what you mean.
2: Okay. Uh, Let's say that you've, uh, let's say that your position has suddenly been made redundant. Okay. And it'd be great if somebody else came along and just offered you that same position with another company, not likely. (laughs) So what you have to do is you have to you have to come to some decisions and coming to those decisions of how you're going to come up with new strategies and deal with your current situation, uh, also known as the new normal. (laughs) No, it isn't normal at all, but we'll just call it that just because. Now, uh, you're in a situation where you have to change the way that you think. You have to change the way that you deal with things. You have to change the way that you conduct yourself in, in dealing with a job or even getting a job. So there's all these different things that suddenly come into, come into the fold where you have to make ma- massive amount of changes. Well, everyone has certain qualities, and there's probably qualities that uh, any single individual has, like you, and all those qualities. Basically, those can be contributed to other uh, other aspects of life, other um, you know other occupations. Who knows? You might even get an occupation that you really enjoy yourself in. So uh, you know, maybe you went from uh, uh, maybe you went from a bad condition to a, you know a very favorable condition. This is a thing. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard this before. When one door shuts, a hundred others open. Now you, that means that you, once that door shuts, you have to leave that door. You can't be fretting over that door. You can't let the stress get to you and say, "Oh, that door is shut." You know, I'll, you know, I'll never be good in my life. So it's really important that uh, the people actually do take it on board to make the proper changes and make the proper decisions of their life. Does that sound like something that's constructive? Yes, very. Okay. So, how do you, uh, how do you go about thinking outside the box and so outside of what you would normally think about? How do you think about doing those things? What steps would you take to do those things? Is one take Zuxpro? That's, that's the first step. You take Zoxpro training, okay? That gives you a great way to take in absolutely unfathomable amounts of information, good information, quickly, so that you can base your good decisions on something. And so that you can actually make uh, make those transitions that you need to make. So you you... Go and you get Zox Pro training and you learn mental photography. And mental photography is tapping into your photographic memory. And by tapping into your photographic memory and using that, you're exercising your brain. As you're exercising your brain, it's not only helping you with information, but it's helping you broaden your horizons so that you can see that there is more out there that you can be doing. And you can be doing it productively. And maybe even with a better income than what you had before. So there's plenty of things that you can do. You have to get out of the, you have to uh, rip yourself out of the mud. (laughs) And you have to actually do something to gain this level of information and competency in your life. And once you do, then it becomes a lot easier if you ever have to do it again. Because you have a fully working system to do just that. That's why we say great things happen here. Because they do. Absolutely. So where do they go, Neil?
1: Zuxpro.com right now. And when they go to Zuxpro.com, they can either choose to take Zuxpro or contact Dr. Shannon for mentoring. And it's very, very important because the opportunities are very important. That we need to do is to be able to retrain our brains so that we can accomplish great things, as you said. So thank you again, Doctor Shannon, for another great episode.
2: Uh, you're very welcome, Neil, and uh, and thank you for my little uh, my little black cockatoo bird friends that happened to stop by today and. And we'll all have a great time together, right? Exactly. So that was the Photographic Memory Podcast, guys. Take care.
1: Please listen to the Forletta Podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, aka El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Wake Up. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Hi everyone and welcome to the COVID-19 vaccine show. I'm excited to welcome to the program, Dr. Mark Hayden. Dr. Mark, what's going on? How are you? And this vaccine, what's happening? Talking about new variants, the lumbata. I know it's not lumbata, whatever it is, is the next variant out. Are we ever gonna see the end of this? Or is this the way we're going? Yeah, uh
5: coronavirus as a mutant is here, to, here, is here to stay, it will not be stamped out. It will become progressively more better aerosolized. And um, as long as the death rate stays at about 17 days on the worst cases, and the death rate is related to processes due to, to, tradi- to traditional autoimmune responses, the death rate will continue to fall, although people may have milder symptoms. People will have mild symptoms if they've already had prior exposure. Most of the U.S. population has already had prior exposure, and you're seeing that because it's not showing up in the uh, in the stool counts because it can't grow in the intestines because it's quickly suppressed. So it might grow just a little bit, and then it gets knocked back down because your body recognizes it as a, a new form of the old form, a new version of the old form and, and suppresses it quickly.
1: Here's so, a question. Yeah, yeah, right. Sure. Here, here's a quick question right to start off the bat. They said that people that have the vaccine are gonna have less symptoms and less hospitalization than the people that had COVID the first time, if they contracted a second time. So if somebody with vaccine gets COVID-19, because which we, we know is true that they are protected more than people that have already naturally gotten the virus true or false
5: that's false
1: that's what it was going on in a room on saturday or yeah no, i'm mm-hmm.
5: people do not know what they're talking about let me explain the reason why okay and 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 you know neil you're a You're not a virologist. No. I am a physician and somebody who's enjoyed physics. I enjoy physics, calculus, looking at at technical problems. But let's just look at that technical problem. Immune learning comes from immune experience, doesn't it? Would you agree with that statement? Yes. Yes. Neil, can you learn the Spanish language if you were never exposed to it? No. The longer you're exposed to the Spanish language, are you a better learner? Yes. There you go. Now you're starting to see the logic of it. If you're exposed to COVID for a longer period of time, you have more chance for learning, don't you? Yes. Yes. So that when you get it growing in your intestines for a week or two weeks, you have an extremely long time to isolate and, and, and create the very best possible antibody immune response and recognize that virus. Yes. When, it's, when they take just a spike protein from it and shoot it in your body and it, and it, and it, and it dissipates real quickly, you don't know much, do you? No, about that. Know. Look, I don't learn Spanish just because somebody runs through the room once a month yelling a few curse words in Spanish. No. Although I might learn some Spanish, okay? I could learn some Spanish in five minutes by having somebody come and cuss me out in Spanish it would be meaningful to me. You know, I might have a memory of some Spanish and that might help me a little bit and give me a little bit of immune memory. And that little bit of immune memory might be enough to create a, a little bit of an immune defense, which is all I would need to prevent me from having a worse, worst case scenario. So if somebody, I don't know Spanish, but if somebody wants to come and cuss at me in Spanish and teach me half a, let's say six or 12 dozen words in Spanish Now, that is very different than if I have somebody from Spain come live with me for a week in my house talking to me. I might know a lot more, and I'd be much more fluent at Spanish, wouldn't I? Yes. And so what we're seeing is exactly what you common sense would tell you, is that with prolonged exposure that happens with gut colonization, you get a much better, Better understanding of and much better experience, much longer exposure, and you get a much more thorough immune learning because you had better exposure. Okay, now does what does this play out in? Let me let me explain. When mRNA came out in the very first time last year, they cited cases where, in best case scenario. After the second shot, a week after the second shot, which was 30 days after exposure from the first shot, you would have some memory, correct? You would yeah. have you might have some decrease in symptoms. That's all they claimed. Yeah. Now the rest of this stuff is just TV hype. It's just a bunch of media people getting on because they're supported by the powers, the political powers that be. The reality is is that if you get a vaccine, you have almost no improvement in immune learning for almost a month. And that's pretty solid. However, here's what you also know. Let's say you were a COVID virgin and pardon me for using, but you get up what I'm saying, you've never encountered COVID before. And you were locked in a room and you've never had any experience. If you get exposed to COVID, through your intestinal tract, and and you have a natural infection in your intestinal tract, you then become asymptomatic, unable to transmit within eight to 10 days. That means if somebody breathes in your face in eight to 10 days, guess what? You're not gonna turn positive. No. You can't turn positive. One of the things I did personally, and you know, let's talk about personal experience. Talk to some of these experts, say, okay, Okay, uh, Mr. Genius over there, let's put some live COVID virus on your mouth and, and see how, whether, how long it takes you to turn positive or negative. They're not going to probably do that. Now, when I did it, one of the things I found because I had already had a prior colonization, I can't keep COVID on my mouth because my saliva washes it out and I have a lot of antibodies to it. Gut exposure is the most rapid way to create an immune defense. It is the most rapid way to become non-transmissible. Now, you hear these arguments, Neil. I want you to get a vaccine. That should never be said. What you should say is, I want you to be non-transmissible. And I'm going to leave it up to you to decide how you become non-transmissible. I'm going to tell you, Neil, that if we were to meet in person, and let's say I didn't, I don't want you to transmit something to me without my permission. I mean, that's reasonable. Don't you agree? Yes. But if you want to be non-transmissible, you should be able to decide how you achieve that non-transmissible state. Exactly. And the best way to achieve that is through oral exposure. Uh so
1: why is it coming out this way? And this is what doctors; these were virologists, and we did, we definitely like to have them on the program. I, I was on Clubhouse, as I guess I'm becoming the Clubhouse expert for vaccines now, as people are modding me, which is funny as heck because I'm not a doctor. Uh, but I learned so much from you, and I pay attention to what you've taught, and Doctor uh, Doctor Caxton, and also learned a lot from um, Doctor Christopher Hall about what's happening with this with COVID. You know, ivermectin hydroxychloroquine, different things. It's just very concerning to me that we don't know this experimental drug. The concern I have with the vaccine is we don't know the side effects later on. And if you keep having a booster, this mRNA could be dangerous to people. Oral inoculation is going to end it now. So basically they're gonna talk about less hospitalizations. They're saying the spread decreases with the vaccine, true or false, the, with, with the mRNA.
5: I would say false. The amount of viral load in the mouths of these people that were tested by the CDC was as high, the titers were as high as the unvaccinated. That means that if the viral load is real high in your mouth, it's high in your mouth because you're exhaling it from your chest. So those people that were vaccinated were exhaling as much or more than the people who were not vaccinated. I don't think it enhanced, at, I do not believe that a vaccine actually enhanced the production of the virus in your lungs. I just don't think initially because you got a vaccine does not produce a mucosal immunity. All right. it does is reduce the worst case scenario. That's all it does. So and really you could do that if I wanted to reduce my worst case scenario and have the lowest uh, side effects, Hey, somebody who's positive, please spit on my hamburger. But then I look like a total nut, don't I? Hey, but... You follow me? Or, but, but, or here, share a piece of bread with me. It's, it's not as gross as asking somebody to spit on your hamburger. Or share, share a popsicle. One of the terrible things about COVID has been that it separated families. A lot of family members have to wind up leaving each other because... Guess what, they're afraid of getting the virus and a lot of family members will send their other family members away. That means they're sick, they're facing death, and they're alone. And certainly people in nursing homes, if somebody had done that to my grandmother and not let me see my grandmother, uh, that, that would not have been, that wouldn't have gone over well with me. Okay. So, so has the, what
1: about the death right now?
5: Okay, yeah, let's, let's look. You know, one of the things I do I'm pretty confident in what I what I know. So, you know, a lot of people would try to check these numbers every day. Let's just check Missouri. Remember, about five, four or five weeks ago, a month ago, I said the death rate in Missouri is crashing, even yeah. though the COVID, the the Delta variant, probably half the people have already been exposed, or three fourths, or or seven fifths. Okay, let, let let's let's just check it and see. Okay, let's see. Let's see who's right,
4: who's wrong. Right. coronavirus updates right. i think i'm pretty confident i'm going to be right again let's see
5: worldwide there's a you know it's not going away look at that that worldwide graph yeah it's not going away No, Uh, but if we look at, let's go to USA.
4: And then let's go to um, Missouri.
5: Missouri. All right, come on, Missouri. There we are. Come on. Let's look at that death rate. I bet it's down through the floor. Look, total cases in Missouri, a little bit of uptick there on total cases, but I told you, hey, look at the daily new cases. Yeehaw. I mean, actually, I'm somebody will probably report me for saying Yeehaw when the daily cases. I said daily new cases would go up, right? And that could be propaganda, so. No, no. Actually, the daily new cases, they're absolutely through the ceiling. Okay. Here's what I want to tell you about in Missouri. Most of these people are asymptomatic. And hey, the actual numbers of these people that are actually cases are sky high. These people ain't paying money out of their pocket to go get tested. I'm saying the daily new cases ain't 3,200 in Missouri or 4,400. I'm saying the real daily new cases, if you could test everybody in the state every day, day after day, would probably be like 50,000. Wow. It'd be enormous. But now let's look at this death rate. Look at that death rate, man. I told you a dropout. drop out. Now, what did I tell I you did. about? Right. There it is. So well, what are these now, of those five
1: deaths? Are they all
5: people unvaccinated? No. Let me tell you what those five deaths are, are largely part two. So much of the population now is carrying COVID. That you may be sick and dying from other things. And there's a certain percentage of the population is going to be positive. There's so much widespread exposure to that particular virus that let's say somebody shot me or stabbed me with a knife, or let's say I had another Klebsiella pneumonia. Can we we look at
1: the U.S. death rate, Mark, and not just Missouri?
5: Okay. All right. Let's let's go to to that. But we can see that the death rate in Missouri. The cases are
1: definitely up. We aren't gonna yeah. lie la- that they're they're sky high and we're getting back to another pandemic if we're looking just the cases. But let's okay. look at deaths. Let's look at deaths. I think that's important to okay, look
5: let's, at Okay. Let's let's okay if you want to look at the entire US death. Day,
1: Yes. Okay. I want to see All right. The US.
5: US totals. I've got to go to the other day.
1: Can we get a graph of the US? Yes. Okay, here we go. Do they they only go by state? All right,
5: there's a graph. Okay. Look, the cases are spiking up. I told you the cases would spike up. We predicted I'm saying there's not 200,000 cases in the U.S. per day.
1: Fauci's coming up up all the time is the biggest problem that's making everyone scared and nervous.
5: I am telling you, I'm telling you that the real number of cases in the U.S. is probably if you were forcing everybody once a day to take a COVID test. You know, antigen test, I would say that there's probably uh, a million, two million cases a day in the US mm-hmm. because it's growing all over the place. This is an extremely well aerosolized. Now, why are these people not dropping like stinking flies? Oh, the death rate, I mean,
1: the death okay, rate is nothing. They're going to say it's because of the vaccine,
5: Dr. Hayden. You see, I told you all the way back in December. I said they would give the vaccine at a time in which they could claim credit for when the natural immunity is developing. And they did. So they waited, they had a very lukewarm half ass, well, uh, half ass is is not a scientific word, is it? That is a uh, moderate, minimally effective, how's that? A minimally effective vaccine that was even though it was minimally effective, would prevent worst case scenarios, which was death, which occasionally happened. So you would say it was very effective at at preventing death in in great elderly people. Uh, But the side effects were unknown. And people that were young, the side effects way didn't outweigh the the benefits. Mm -hmm. And and if you look, um, look, There's no huge spike here. The actual number of exposures here, and that has to go back to what is going on in in the, uh, you have to refocus yourself. What is going on in in the sewer systems? And I had a... um, We'll hit this one point before we close today. Okay. Let me go over to my sent mail. That's so much junk mail. So much time. Let's go and look at, uh, I'm going to, if it weren't for, um, okay. all right, hold on. Okay. Here we go. Let's go this art gyrus story. There we go. This is the website you want to go to.
1: The Sewer Shed I'm, Surveillance Project.
5: Yes, the Sewer Shed Project. Now, bear in mind, one of two things is going to happen. We've had the most aerosolized transmissible variant in history, outside of measles, be transmitted. Now what we want to know is... What is the uh, uh, result? Here it is, it's filling in, thank God. And what we see is no change. Right. We see a decreasing green triangles. It's peaked out in Missouri. Even though Missouri deaths are down very low, guess what? It's not picking up. It's spread to almost every place it's going to spread in the state of Missouri.
1: And they only do this for Missouri. They've not done this for the whole country, the sewer shed surveillance.
5: No. And in fact, you know, if you want to do something and sound neutral, you know, they try to say everybody who's not drinking their Kool-Aid is a nut. Ask and say why your local health department is not following and submitting your sewer samples. Because sewer samples don't need people to volunteer and take a daily test. They're gonna poop and they're gonna flush their toilet. And if it's going in their intestines, you're gonna, you can find out about it. It is a much better way. All right, look at here on variant, variant testing. Let me see if I can get the variant load up here because I've been waiting for that variant load to decrease. The variant load last time was was flattened out after a very small peak. And you could tell that the COVID load in the stool had reached a peak in Missouri all the way back months ago. Mm -hmm. Months ago is when most of the people were getting their Exposure, their first exposures to COVID. The repeat exposures, it can't grow much at all, so you don't get much of a harvest. So according to the the, the data from the sewer shed product, from the sewer shed, shed product in Missouri, it was months ago that most of the people were actually exposed, not acutely. Right. So then we have to ask ourselves why this hellacious push to push everybody who hasn't had a vaccine into getting one. We know. And, you know, part of that is you're looking at a cycle now where people that once they're vaccinated, they can't, they're on that bandwagon. They're like sucked in. Right. The, the government would like nothing to do but claim credit for saving your life. Right. That's not true. They did not save your life. No. The government, you know. Isn't that what we, is that what they told the American Indians? Hey, we're going to save you. It doesn't work that way. They told the people in Afghanistan that would save them. They told the people in Iraq they were bringing them freedom.
1: So our, so we talked about shutdown. We see what Fauci's pushing. The kids, the, there's tons of questions to answer in this, our program is running out of time for today. People, if you really want, just go ahead and DM me on my Instagram, official Neil Haley, and I'll start bringing these questions out to Dr. Mark Hayden. We know our audience is changing even further for this podcast, especially what I was able to get out to this week uh, about the COVID-19 vaccine show on in Clubhouse. People are very concerned about this, that there's going to be another lockdown. And there could potentially be, unless or, mandatory vaccinations for everyone. So, this show will give you, there's another option, an oral vaccine, and we have more news to come, Mark. And how do you always close out the show?
5: You know, I I close out the show saying, if anybody would like to contact you, we'd love to interview you on this show. We like to look at people's feelings about COVID. Yes. People have died, but people, millions of people have lived in fear And they've been separated by family members during a crisis. That's very unhealthy. We need to be able to be with the sick. We don't need to abandon the sick members of our family for fear that we are going to die. We need to be able to stay with our family members and take care of them when they're sick. Because we love them and because they did things for us. We... That's And you can't do that with, hey, my wife is sick today, we're not vaccinated, I need to run and go get a vaccine and a month from now I can take care of my wife, that doesn't work either. Learning to do oral vaccine is an essential part of treating sick people. You know, I'm the only doctor I've ever met that doesn't wear a mask around COVID patients and doesn't have to fear death. There's something wrong with that. Right. Um, My days, I believe my days are numbered. But it doesn't mean that I can't get COVID. And every time I took COVID, especially in the first few times until I knew and was confident in what I was doing, I knew I risked getting sick. But the risks were worth the benefits for what I learned. But my day to die is my day to die. You, as a viewer, whether you're a virologist or, a phys- or an ordinary person, your ancestors, many of them died, and their deaths were associated with infections. 100 years ago, 200 years ago, they knew nothing about infections or how to prevent them. And it made you just
4: seem random. generation here because God planned him to be is a gift learn wonderful immune system that God gave you for healthy if you're alive
5: and healthy then thank God for it you take care and have a great day and I'll see you later, Neil. All right, guys, that was the COVID nineteen vaccine
1: show. Guys, take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of the Neil Haley Show. And also, searching for integrity, and we continue to talk about embracing this the abyss with John Smith. John, how are you? Chapter eleven. Oh, we don't always yeah. to say something like chapter eleven,
3: right? Because chapter eleven.
1: We think of Chapter 11 bankruptcy as the thing. but So what's, what are we going to learn about in Chapter 11?
3: This is, this is Christmas, 1985. Okay. Where, where were you? <laughs> I was 12
1: years old, Christmas, 1985. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I yeah. was in, I guess, seventh grade. Yeah, probably seventh yeah. grade. Seventh grade, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and then Christmas at my family's house.
3: That's great. Uh, this would this would have been a better Christmas had I not. Uh, well, let me just read the chapter. Yeah. This is you know the thing about my book, Neil, is that the chapters are basically scenes, different scenes, mm-hmm. and you know it's not like a, a beginning and a middle and an end for a particular chapter. It's a scene, or or a, or an event type of thing. Um, this will be our longest chapter, I believe. Uh, I'm ready to start when you are. We're ready to go. All right, here we go. Chapter 11, Christmas 1985. On a windy fall afternoon in 1985, I sat across from Dixon, his spacious antique desk elevated by four-inch high stage for the high priest throne effect. Feeling unusually comfortable, I normally shook on the inside when I was around him. I proceeded to tell him that because I had corporately survived longer than any other executive, I was likely to be the one to someday write the book. I don't recall my visit having a special purpose. The few one-on-one meetings with him over the years usually had a definite purpose, like finding a way to prevent his wife's design company's checking account from getting overdrawn. I described for him that during the past five years, I had been the corporate piano player, daily ducking and dodging the bullets that felled many another. My longevity was due to minding my own business and quietly playing on. I had seen many execs come and just
4: as many go. Hmm.
3: Like the saloon cowboys in an old western. Some were out, some were drawn out, firing and square, and some got it otherwise. Me, I just kept on playing the upright, keeping my head down, staying out of the way, trying not to be noticed, searching for a profile even lower than the one I already had. I won't forget the way Dixon looked at me when I told him I planned to write a book someday. It was out of character for him to show any unplanned response, but he had quickly flashed a weird eyed look. Best described as fight or flight, combination of you wouldn't dare and you have no idea what's really going on here. I was a little nervous from catching this look, but when it quickly vanished, I interpreted it to impatiently mean, Are you finished yet? I have something important to take care of. Get out of here. In December 1985, as Christmas was nearing, there was a lot of activity among the execs, including booking profits, booking loans, looking for transactions that made profits, and of course, increased the pool of the bean plan, which meant bonuses. I had watched for most of that fall as partnerships were formed to buy properties, now known as the drippy deals. The Drippy deals were the condominium projects that were reversed, merged two years before. Bonding group no longer had the wherewithal to maintain the complexes on a daily cash flow basis. Show- shoving them up into Vernon meant that they would always be paid for. This type of transaction required the approval of the state savings and loan commissioner. In the fall of 1985, the Dallas effort was to package and sell the drippy properties to individuals thought to be members of Dixon's stable of borrowers. Raleigh, an ex-college football player from the 50s and a former partner of Dixon's in the single family home business known as Raldon, was put in charge of this task. Raleigh was built like a pulling guard probably the position that he played. As he ambled down the hallway, you could sometimes see his hand and shoulder hitting the wall. Dixon put Raleigh in charge of getting appraisals for all the properties. I never met the appraiser, but he appeared to have done an excellent job or played an excellent role in getting Dixon the values that he wanted. Originally, the properties were being packaged for sale to various investor-type borrowers who turned out to be nothing more than mustaches. In viewing all of this from my administrative post, it was my task to see that the gain recognition would be met through compliance with the accounting rules. It never occurred to me that there would be a real person on the other end of the deal. There was a lot that had to happen in order to get the deals through compliance standards, not only by me, but by other staff members the last piece of the puzzle was to get the documentation ready for the partnership that weren't created for the buyers that were created. Every day we were told any day now, any day now the documentation is coming in from their attorneys or the loan officer. It's been reviewed and some of the buyer borrowers are actually signing, et cetera, et cetera. But one evening, one a week before Christmas, Woody, came into my office, closed the door, and told me that none of the documentation was finished. He blamed Raleigh and his group for, the, for, that, for not getting that done. Woody was smart, owl-looking, wore glasses, and custom-dressed shirts with button-down collars and monograms. He had an insincere look on his face most of the time, almost as though he had something up his sleeve, a look that said he knew something you didn't. He had a sort of perturbed look when i had his his picture taken producing a small a small smirk when the photographer said smile not a bad smirk just his smirk uh-huh. in spite of his appearance and his looks of insincerity i actually found him to be kind and polite not one to take advantage of people but he was still a deal guy My view was that Raleigh had probably done everything he could to get it done. What he explained, that he had now involved himself in the matter personally, that he would see to the completion of the documentation within a period of no more than 30 days. He then asked me to go ahead and make the interest payments on the drippy loans from another partnership that had already been created with a group in California. I was reluctant because these matters aren't supposed to be done this way but I agreed to do what he was asking me because he said he was now involved and I never thought he was untrustworthy. I kept my reluctance to myself and would go ahead and make the advances to the partnerships to pay the interest on the loans so that they would remain current on the books. The advance to the partnership was only 1.2 million. I knew that if the documentation did not come together within 30 days as what he said it was supposed to, I could always reverse the advance in the future. Even though I had reversing the transaction as potential remedy, it didn't sit very well with me. But I did it because Woody had pressured me. He was a very serious man and always appeared to have a somber expression on his face. At that point, I had no reason not to trust him, and I believed him to be telling the truth. What I really didn't know is that quarterly reports were filed with the Federal Home Loan Bank Board by the people in Vernon because I agreed to make the partnership advance to pay the interest 15 million in loans were classified as current and not delinquent. The next workday after Woody's visit to my office, I told MAPE, our tax guy, to make the advance the partnership and asked Vernon to figure out how the advance should be applied to the other unformed partnerships. He and Furr, our audit guy, took it upon themselves to make an attempt at being cunning by making payments to various Dallas branches using accounts set up for themselves, by themselves. They thought it would look like the payments were made by the unformed partners themselves. They held the branches open past closing time to get it done timely on New Year's Eve. I didn't find out about their payments, their contrivance, until the next week, the first week of January. I put two and two together on what had happened, called them both into my office, and shut the door. They said they were going to tell me, but hadn't gotten around to it yet. They thought they were extremely shrewd and acted as though they were due some sort of accolade. I berated them, saying, you guys should not have done that. You should have left it alone as a single payment contribution to the partnership, allowing the Vernon people to allocate it was required, as required. Mape was a CPA. He had formerly worked with Arthur Young's tax department. I always thought him to be one of the brightest guys I knew. He had a great sense of humor and was one of the first I heard use the phrase, that's rich. Always with a big belly laugh. He was showing signs of early balding, and I often teased him that I was going to get some chalk and draw a line across the upper part of his forehead so he could tell where his forehead ended and his scalp began. Ferrer was the other CPA who worked for me. He fit the mold as the auditor type, but that was good because that's what he did a lot of internally. Since I was above them in rank, I thought that I would be in a better position than them if some crap came down around us. Right. So to, f- so to better fend off the crap, I told them I would be responsible for what they did if it came to that, which of course it did. In early spring 1986, when I realized there was no partnership documentation coming, as Woody had promised, I called our audit partner, at Arthur Young, and asked him to come out for lunch. Map and Fur joined us along with a senior auditor from Arthur Young at a nearby restaurant. I described to them what had happened and that we were taking care of it by reversing the transaction, which effectively negated the event. Upon hearing what had occurred, their jaws dropped. And I thought for a moment they might actually choke on their food. Oh, my. They took it much more seriously than I had anticipated, probably because I was focusing only on this single transaction. They were looking at it from a much larger view, immediately imagining the possibility of broader ramifications, fearful of what else had been done and what would be next. The FLHBB reports that were filed from Vernon were something that I had would, would someday become acquainted with. The end of Chapter 11.: So
1: in Chapter 11, you start to have doubt, don't you?:
3: Oh, yeah. I mean I would, towards the end, when it didn't happen, when he said it was going to happen, that's when I threw it into the second gear to, to try and erase it, to reverse it That's when I became aware
1: that there was more to it than, you know than I should have been. Do you have any regrets that you didn't shut it down right then and there and whistleblow? Didn't have the power. Could you have whistleblown?
3: To, to whom? That takes months, years sometimes. Wow. Yeah. And, and you have people to
1: support, so you can't just quit your job.
3: Correct. And the same thing, too. This was on Christmas, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I, I was still believing that, that what he said he was going to do, because he'd always done what he did. Wow.
1: And where is Dixon now? Did you say that in the book or not?
3: Dixon is, uh, and I've got a chap, another chapter coming up here about more about him. Uh, he's, uh, I believe he's in Dixon, and, excuse me, in, in Addison. Which is just north of Dallas. I believe he's still living there. Uh, one of the investing uh, buddies from the joint venture days, the real estate condo days, had had arranged it for Dixon to have a home because he went to prison and he got out, but he was last. I heard he was living in that home. Interesting. So
1: always interesting when these guys go to prison, how long and all these things, but, and both of you guys were through that uh, living hell that you dealt with. And we're going to find out more from Embracing the Abyss, but go to embracingtheabyss.com right now, buy the book. And then you can read it now and not wait till we continue to go through chapters for the next six, seven, eight weeks. And you can buy the book right now. If you just listen to chapter 11, you like the thing. John Smith has one of the most amazing stories. One, there are people I will say to my grandkids and my great grandkids that I met. One person, I met someone that received a presidential pardon. Another person is one of my clients is a Nobel Prize nominee doctor. These are the kind of stories that you tell people that you get to learn based on my profession, because you're not going to run into a lot of people like that or celebrities but these amazing people like you john smith are amazing to go and then you can go to searchingforintegrity.com learn about him as well and listen to his podcast there and make sure you follow him in all of the social media john i cannot wait to chapter 12 next week so thanks again for stopping by
3: okay neil thanks
1: all right again that was the special simulcast of searching for integrity and the neil haley show take care guys